This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and this is Episode 38 of the Recorded Future podcast. Our guest today is Denver Durham. He's a threat intelligence consultant at Recorded Future with a background in the U.S. Army as an intelligence analyst, working in Signals Intel and All Source Intel, supporting counterterrorism, and later in the private sector in a SOC as a cyber threat analyst, performing attribution and analytics. On today's show, he takes us through what he believes are some of the most relevant questions for SOC analysts, including collecting and prioritizing indicators of compromise, handling news feeds, managing firewall alerts, and performing trend analysis. We'll learn about the types of reports a SOC analyst is likely to generate, and we'll find out about making good use of some third-party rules. Stay with us. I joined the Army uh, after college and really didn't have a background in intelligence or analytics at that point. But when I went into the military, I landed in an intelligence analyst position as a signals intelligence analyst. And so as I progressed through that short career, really became more and more technically heavy uh, with just the way that the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan sort of developed and required a lot more um, knowledge of technologies and things like that. And so that led me into a few different jobs doing um, all source and intelligence analytics in the government sector, um, public sector. And after that, I really actually just sort of fell into a job as a cyber threat analyst for a private company and was doing threat attribution. So looking at TTPs, uh, techniques, tactics, and procedures of APT, advanced persistent threats, which was brand new to me at the time. But the methodology of threat intelligence and kind of how I had approached that before doesn't change much. It was just a matter of learning a new area in information, right? A new area of data and becoming an expert in that. So that sort of led me down a completely new path over the last few years. I've gone through a couple different companies in supporting analysts with their methodologies, analytics, or just training in software for a couple different companies. And that's pretty much where I'm at now. And so in terms of being a cyber threat analyst, what are the things about that job that you find particularly appealing? Yeah, I think that it's um, it's really interesting because it's still very new. Um, threat attribution in terms of cybersecurity has been going on for a few years. I mean, it was brand new maybe five or six years ago, but it's still you can run into a lot of different a lot of different shops or a lot of different areas within, you know, within the sector. And, and people still aren't really thinking that way about actually identifying the threat and leading it back, trying to find out back where the threat comes from um, instead of just blocking an IP or blocking a domain, something like that. And so I, I found it to have a lot of freedom. There's not very much stuff that's codified. Um, there's not a lot of manuals out there that tell you how to do it. It's just dive in and start digging through the data and figure out the best methods um, on your own. And I think that's really exciting. It can be a lot of fun, especially coming from a military background where everything uh, has a step-by-step process that you're supposed to follow. And there's not very much wiggle room left, right, in terms of how you accomplish your job. You know, you're supposed to do it in a very, very specific manner. Yeah. 
So let's talk about uh, working in a SOC, in a security operations center. Um, let's go through some of the, the important things uh, for being a SOC analyst. So let's, let's start with prioritization. How do you, how do you collect uh, IOCs, uh, indicators of compromise, and how do you set your priorities? So, you know, that's something that's de- still developing a lot in terms of collecting indicators. Even just a few years ago when, when I was an analyst, uh, when I first started out in that job, I had to go out and literally search the Internet every single day, set up feeds, um, RSS feeds just to read articles, read blogs, and then either copy and paste these new IOCs that came up uh, into an internal database or or hand type all of them. And that is okay for maybe a a few ten or a few dozen a day. But when you really start seeing how the threat landscape has evolved over the last few years, it's too much to keep up with, right, in a manual process. And so now I think people are relying a little bit more on on feeds, um, automated feeds of some form or fashion. That raises some other problems, some other questions. How do you really validate the confidence of the feed? And how do you know that all of the different IOCs that you're getting are truly malicious or if you're blocking something that might actually be useful that you might need. And so all of those questions sort of sort of come into play. Um, and that gets into really methodology of how to research, right, what those IOCs are and where they come from and, and how to prioritize those. And how do you go about doing that? I mean, what, what's your, do, you have a, do you have a system for uh, determining how much something requires your attention? In my experience, I think that a lot of it is being able to see how frequently um, that's coming up with a um, some sort of malicious tag identified to it. So if you're talking about an indicator like an IP or a domain, then you know historically linked to malware, historically used in an, in a campaign or an attack, um, things like that can obviously be helpful. And then once you can really build a repertoire or a, a a card for that one identifier and see how much of those different rules risk, you know, how much risk really applies to that, then it can give you a much better idea of of the confidence of that. It's sort of the intelligence paradox with the internet, right? If, if something shows up just once, you know, there's so much information out there, it can be lost. You kind of need to see it more frequently from different sources in order to really be able to put confidence in it. So in terms of handling things like RSS feeds or news feeds, how do you dial that in? Yeah, I think that that's a, a real imperfect process right now. Um, you know, in my experience, when I was sort of sitting in that seat as an analyst, not so much as a consultant, like like how I'm working now, um, I, I was always just fo- following back any interesting research to try and find you know what blogs are posting it and reposting it. And then maybe that's – and then looking at the history of that blog and then – kind of always building out this RSS feed, but then that just quickly becomes overload, right? Because every day you come in and you want to get caught up on all of the pertinent and interesting news that's uh, going on in your feed. And at some point you have to kind of dial that back and real, you know, say, okay, I, I have enough sources to look at. So maybe I even need to start removing some sources. But uh, what I was doing is really looking at some of just the main vendors that were out there, main primary security vendors, um, the vendors that are publishing white papers, doing independent research on threat attribution, writing about different APT or different campaigns, things like that. So you really come up with your own sort of uh, list of trusted sources, if you will. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I that's something that I had done is just develop my own list of trusted sources, and and of course I would collaborate with other other people, had other friends, and uh, made other contacts within the industry, and you know pick up on other people's knowledge and start to start to build that out. But uh, I, I don't think that it's a perfect process by by any means. What part does automation play in this? Did you have tools to help you sort through the, the sort of fire hose of information that could come at you? No, you know, uh, only a few years ago that nothing like that really was around yet. And, and there's been in the last couple of years a, a lot of companies recently who have who have come up and, and identified that as a need. Um, simultaneously, a lot of people saw that, you know, there has to be a way to filter through this a little bit better than just a Google alert, maybe, or, or just, you know, going into your, into your email inbox. And so I think that there are much better tools out there now to filter through all that noise where you can look at your trusted sources, but you can also filter through that because maybe you're really only interested in articles that pertain to your industry, or maybe only pertain to your company in particular, or uh, certain types of malware, you know, and that also gets into really how shops operate some of the larger organizations were starting to see their uh, cybersecurity broken up into not just a SOC, but then a separate threat intel shop, maybe a threat hunting shop. And those guys have very different priorities. So they're not each trying to look at the entire you know, fire hose of data. That actually is more so the position that we were in the, the company that I was working at. It was just uh, everybody look at everything and be concerned with everything at all times. So that can be really challenging and is definitely, I think that it's still a need in the in cybersecurity, but it's gotten much better. And, and so in terms of managing things like firewalls, how do you handle uh, the false positives that you get and, and just looking out for things like trends? Yeah, trending uh, at the firewall, I think, is... Uh, I call it somewhat of an, an underrated um, approach to analytics. Uh, a lot of times, just the pervasive thought is that if it's been blocked, then there's there's nothing else we need to do about it. But seeing the activity that is being stopped at your firewall and seeing actually what those trends are can be very interesting, especially when you start getting into wondering what threat groups and what threat actors are actually targeting your company or targeting uh, your industry. Maybe they're not getting through the firewall, but we can see trends um, in the attacks that they're attempting. Coming from a military background, I kind of tend to think it's almost like in, in a war zone in Iraq or Afghanistan, if you discovered an IED and diffused it and then removed it, but then did no research to find out who put it there or why it was there, it would mm. kind of, it, it really leaves you um, in the dark and open for um, a lot of future attacks, right? Yeah, that's interesting because I, I one thing I do hear uh, some people say is that uh, attribution perhaps isn't really that important, but it does play a part sometimes. Yeah, I absolutely think that that it does. Um, I, I know, you know, for for a while we saw um, a couple APT groups that uh, would intentionally um, increase their scanning or even attempt to DDoS um, an organization. At the same time that they're launching a, a separate phishing attack so that everybody can be distracted with one thing and then something else might might be able to get under the radar and doesn't get doesn't get picked up on quite as quickly or quite as easily. And so um, yeah, the, adver uh, the adversaries know that we are just looking at the indicators and not really trying to trace it back to its origin. And they use that to their advantage. 
the more that we understand how and why the threat actors are uh, doing things that they do, what their what their tactics are, the better prepared we can be to uh, stay ahead of the curve and, and stay ahead of future attacks instead of always just being reactive. Can you take us through what sorts of intelligence you produce from from the work that you do, reports and so forth? Yes, a lot of the reports are in that uh, sort of trending. And what we're mostly looking at is is really everything that is being posted out on the Internet, not just open, but deep and dark web sources as well. So say if a, a zero day were to occur, a brand new piece of malware that's out there, um, a brand new vulnerability, one or the other, then we're going to see uh, different sources and different technical reporting come out that contribute differently to what the background is on that, what the technical indicators are for that threat, whatever it might be. And so being able to quickly look at at the whole, really the totality of the open web, everything that's out there, and compile it into a very concise and clearly understandable format, um, and then ingest that into both your intelligence as well as your you know, remediation like your firewalls and things. Um, that's really the approach that we're that we're taking now uh, with the work that I do, and I think that more so people are going to be moving towards that idea where where we have the technology and the ability to see a lot more of what's going on and, and try and filter out that noise across the internet. And it seems to me also that the the sort of interval of the reporting um, allows you to delve into different things. You know, uh, uh, over time you start to notice trends that uh, that might not be apparent in a daily report or a weekly report. Yeah, a- absolutely. Absolutely. And when and when we look at, uh, say, uh, malware operations or attacks that have been positively at- attributed to a threat actor, we, we might want to go back through time and look at what the trends are of those things. Um, are there certain times of the year? Are there certain other indicators, either in markets or in industries, that can help us understand what they're looking at in order to initiate an attack, um, because every time they initiate an attack, it's it's for a particular reason, and it might not just be because they've finished coding a new malware. It might be because of something else that's going on out again in the industry um, or with that particular company. So, being able to look for other corollaries, other things to correlate to, outside of just this is a malicious indicator; it should be blocked. Those are other, other other ways that we can try and get ahead of that curve of the adversary. In terms of um, ingesting, you know, other uh, third-party rules, you know, do you use things like Snort or Yara? Yeah, I, I, those are incredibly useful. You know, um, when I was going out searching for my own data just manually, that was a top priority. If there was a zero day that came out, then the very first thing my manager wanted to know is, has somebody published a snort rule yet, or can we write one? Um, snort was what we were, were using in our enterprise. And there's Yara, there's probably some other ones out there that I'm not entirely aware of. But those are uh, those are really great to harvest and get into your enterprise, uh, well, into your environment, rather, your firewall uh, as quickly as possible. And that's that's been really nice because Snort in particular is open source. Um, you can, if you're competent with basic coding, you can probably learn how to write your own Snort rules and go out and start gathering other people's rules and tweaking them and, and things like that. So uh, I found that to be one of the best open source resources that's out there. The nice thing about it is that you can create rules to uh, filter and to block at layers beyond just 
what the indicator is. So maybe patterns or maybe what the attachment is or other identifiers that aren't as easily picked up on as just an IP or a domain, which is which is very straightforward and kind of on the face of the header data. If someone is uh, considering a career as a threat analyst, uh, what sort of advice would you have for them? I would recommend to really consider all types of analysis philosophies and methods as options to bring to the table. Um, I think in my experience in working in a couple different intelligence fields, people tend to really pigeonhole themselves in a certain style of thinking. You see that a lot in the military. If you're a human intelligence analyst, then you do things one way. And well, if you're a signals intelligent analyst, then you do things one way. And and those those people don't really communicate very much or consider each other's uh, each other's methodologies as as options. You know, for themselves, everything is very segmented and siloed and uh, codified, and that's just the way it is. And I, I really think that in all analysis and all analytics, you have to open your mind to think of different ways of approaching things. Even looking, I've spent a lot of time studying business analytics and stock market analytics and different things. People have been studying trends over time in a lot of different sectors. And we're only just now starting to do that with the internet traffic we have, right, for cybersecurity. So there's a lot to learn outside of just the cybersecurity blogs, just outside of cybersecurity industry um, that can contribute to the value that you have to add to an organization. Our thanks to Denver Durham for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Amanda McKeown, executive producer Greg Barrett, the show is produced by Pratt Street Media, with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.